Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's the bluest room in town. Yeah, they're actually funny. Yep, it is the Blue Room, and it is another week, another tough game for Everton this weekend. Uh, unfortunately, that great run, seven games unbeaten, came to an end against Manchester United. But what better chance to start a new one than uh, a ground, which is really difficult to go to, against one of our former players. It'll be wonderful one there. Uh, joining me this week to tell us how Everton are going to go to North London and win against Richarlison, Son, Harry Kane, Kulosevsky and, and Conte on Saturday. Uh, Patrick Ridge back on the show. Patrick, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, good, thanks. I'm just trying to think how Everton are going to win on, a, on well, Saturday. We'll, 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 we'll do that Saturday at the end. You know, I mean, yeah, maybe maybe the other two can, uh, can tell us. Yeah, you've got you've got around 40 minutes to formulate your, your match <laughs> plan. Um, we'll, we'll go to that. Adam Sutton, Adam, how are you doing, mate? I'm doing well. Um, apart from yesterday... I was uh, training for my football team and picked up an injury trying to chase one of the young lads around. Basically, <laughs> turned me inside out and then I tried to rugby tackle him and I've landed on my wrist. <laughs> um, so, don't know what the actual damage is. A tendon, I think. But, yeah, still being forced to play on Saturday, though. I don't know what's worse, being forced to play when injured or being forced to watch Everton. But um, <laughs> I'll have to do one or the other. But other than that, good. Oh, mate, would you say you're the Blue Room Jerry Mina? In that sense? Just always you know what? <laughs> like, seriously, I am. I am always injured. Whether it's a true injury or an injury that I think I'm injured, um, I'm definitely the Blue Room Jerry Mina. Always yeah. something wrong with me. Yeah. Best dancer, most charismatic, but made of biscuits. Uh... <laughs> I'll <laughs> um, take that. Yeah, also joined as well, Paul McLaren. Paul, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, still uh, recovering from a Sunday's disappointing result, Matt. But you know, trying to be optimistic here. I mean, two seasons ago we did go to Tottenham win one 0 so you know, there's always been a hope, isn't there? That feels like it didn't really happen that game. It, it's like a different lifetime, isn't it? When you look back to that, you know, the, the optimism, the hope, the feeling of the club moving forward, and probably lasted for about three weeks. Absolutely remarkable, yeah. It's that that game feels like a lifetime ago. I remember, I remember vividly thinking, "Oh my god, we've got a midfield." I think Andre Gomez and Alan were amazing. And, yeah, it lasted for about 
a few weeks. But we, we won't dwell on United too long, lads. But obviously, not as you've been on the, on the pod this week, so it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on it. Adam has thrown his head back there, um, even <laughs> mention of that particular game. So I'll, I'll come to you first on it, mate. Uh, just very quickly, your thoughts on the game, because I think a lot of us were quite optimistic going into it. I've been watching United struggle against City, and then, of course, again in midweek. But uh, Everton just were nowhere near it worthy. No, I think it's a funny one with United because they seem to do it in stages of a season or you've seen them under Ten Hag especially be that wounded animal almost, isn't it? And he gets a reaction out of them a lot of the time. So I was walking up to the ground on on Sunday evening um, at half six, stupidly. Um, and I was thinking, just got a feeling about this, that it's not all going to go as planned really and as everyone else would have planned because as you say unbeaten in seven looking at a United side that have struggled midweek and, and taken a battering on the weekend so I just thought that even though it sounded like it was going to be um, three points it was one that actually beforehand I was I was hoping that we'd get a draw out of really or best case scenario we'd get a draw out of because as I say they seem to get a, he seems to get a reaction out of them all the time really and when you look at that side it's frightening going forward and you look at that back four of ours and it's not got a lot of pace in it, has it? And then it was almost, we were sitting really deep and inviting the likes of Bruno onto us. Um, but then when we did try and push up, they were, they were getting scared, weren't they? Let's be honest, the likes of Coleman, Cody especially. So, yeah, it was it was the first time we've looked off it. But I think it was also the first time that Lampard's maybe got it a little bit wrong. I don't know what he would have done to get it right, but it just felt like it was, it was it was coming, and the goal that Everton scored probably the worst thing we we did actually wasn't it? I always think back to that Chelsea game at Wembley where we definitely scored too early, um, and it just felt a little bit like that. I thought hopefully that Martial coming off and Ronaldo coming on would upset them a little bit, but it, it almost kind of played into the hands again. And as soon as they get a little bit of confidence and start to uh, move the ball around, we we were always chasing shadows, weren't we? So maybe a game too far, but. It's it's now a massive test for us to show reacting, isn't it? So, yeah, I think that the first goal, Patrick, is a weird one because obviously you know it's a great goal and we get it, but I think the mentality after that is is quite interesting because, like Adam said there, I think we kind of got caught between doing two different things to a point where we didn't really do either. You know, I've, I've been saying on shows this week that I think we should have absolutely swarmed all over United in those 10 minutes and tried to go for the throat then because they were vulnerable. We were on top. The crowd were up. It felt like that was the point for Everton to win the game. But we sat so deep and went so negative and allowed Casemiro and Eriksen and Fernandes to dictate the game. But the goals we score actually come from us being on the ball and our fullbacks being ambitious. So we, we, it was almost like, well, you can have a sit deep, lads, and you know try and contain and try and be dead defensive. When you've got the ball in midfield, don't send your full-backs marauding forward and leaving space for Anthony and Ronaldo to, to break into. It just felt like they got a little bit mixed up after scoring that early goal. Yeah, um, like it's the first, I went across on Sunday, so it's the first game I've got to this season, so I've clearly picked them. Although the last game I got to was uh, the Newcastle match last season, so we can. I, I'm going to start putting a bet on Iwobi to score at the park end as well uh, the next time I go to Goodison. Um, so I was like literally in the... In the Kind of the top left corner of the Gladys, so I was right behind that goal. And yeah, it came from us pressing Casemiro and, um, you know, Nana press, pressing Casemiro and then breaking. And and we just didn't do it enough. And I think, like you said, Matt, I agree, we just got caught between two stalls in a way. And like Adam mentioned, I was in the build-up to it. I wasn't particularly confident. I just, 
I had a feeling that two things were going to happen. I had a feeling that Ronaldo were going to definitely score his 700th club goal. Um, for one, I'd written a feature on it for work like three weeks ago that had been prepped and ready to go. So I knew that was going to happen. And I was convinced Martial was going to score. So the only surprise was that, you know, Martial didn't score. But um, so I, I thought, well, we're going to concede at least two. So I went for like, or optimistically went for a 2-2 draw and we nearly got it. But um yeah, I think I think some of the reactions been overblown, like you said, Matt. I think we just got caught in between a bit. Um, everybody just seemed that yard short for a second ball, and what I said at the time is we kind of and the atmosphere was flat as well. And you know, I, I have to include myself in that. I was there, and like obviously we got up for it at the end, but the with the atmosphere being flat, with the players not doing anything to kind of to push that atmosphere and get it going, um, bar the early goal. It just turned into a game of football and Man United have much better footballers than Everton. You know, Christian Eriksen, Casemiro and Bruno Fernandes is like, is, you know, it, it might not be a team that you play with on FIFA because there's no pace in there or something like that. But that is three world-class midfielders. And as good as our midfielders looked in at times, it's still coming together and we're nowhere near that level yet. So, yeah, just a bad night at the office, but... Obviously, as Adam says, it, it's two very tough away games now to go into. But I think we should kind of... And Lampard's presser was good today, I thought. He, you know, and, and he's one afterwards as well. He was very reflective of where we are. And, you know, hopefully we see far less of those type of performances moving forward. Yeah, I think that's a great way of describing it, isn't it, Paul? It did become about a, a, a football match and, you know, not a battle and not a... You know, a game you sort of see at Goodison Park and expect Everton to win. And, you know, obviously you want your thoughts on the game as well, but I think just to echo something both the lads have said, uh, Sunday night kickoffs should be binned off for the rest of time. <laughs> They're absolutely horrific. Whether you're watching it at home, whether you go in the match, no one wants to watch football at that time. No, it's just an awful kickoff time, is it? Another, you know, uh, example of how football fans are just treated like commodities. Now the game can just be shifted around, suit the demands of the audience in, in, in the US and Asia, and no consideration to local fans at all. Yeah, that was, as Patrick said there, was quite, was, was quite down, really. Well, it was very down. Beacon said, you know, it were playing Man United, which is always a very intense game. I think, as Adam said there as well, there was, there was kind of, a strange thing of optimism before the game. Uh, uh, when I was walking to the ground, I, I walked past the Royal Oak about 6.20, heard this almighty roar from outside when Arsenal just got their penalty to go through two ahead. And there's a real kind of, kind of you know, buzzy atmosphere. And I, I, I was quite surprised by how optimistic some fans were about the game. I mean, one of my friends, who's the most pessimistic Everton fan you'll ever meet in your life, had actually put a best one before the game for Arsenal to win and Everton to win. And as soon as he told me that, I knew we'd lose because we never win when he thinks we're going to win. And uh, it was just a strange game. I mean, I think you know, both Patrick and Adler, I mentioned about the midfield in particular. Now, when we played Brentford last season, we were screaming for Lampard to talk about Ericsson because Ericsson ran the game for Brentford last season and that's why they won 3-2. And I was the same again on Sunday. Every time I looked, Ericsson was in space, behind the midfield, in front of the midfield, getting the ball, passing the ball. And I, I was focused on saying, who has actually put a tackle on this guy in 90 minutes? I, I might have missed him. I didn't see one Everson tackle go in on Ericsson during the course of the game. As Patrick said, yeah, if, you, if you get players of that ability, time and space to pick their passes up, then they, they, they're just going to tear you apart. I was surprised that um, that McNeil wasn't playing instead of Andy Gordon because I thought the guy's just scored his first goal for Everson. He's on a high. He's full of confidence. 
that would not be worth giving. It's against his old club as well. You would have thought this might be an opportunity to, to, to give him a chance from the start, with the option being Gordon on as a sub. I think we're all quite agreed. Gordon's performance was, was woeful on Sunday, probably the worst I've seen from him in Neveston shares. And uh, the one thing that really kind of you know, jarred with me was the our midfield's got plenty of pace, got plenty of power with an honor and just a gate. We haven't got that much creativity. We haven't had creativity since Hamas Rodriguez left the side. And when you're looking for somebody to open up the defence with a defence splitting pass to see an opportunity, we just didn't have that. And I just felt sorry for Neil Mope having to deal with an endless stream of balls bombed ass into his chest, to his head, with two defenders on him. And they've really been struggling to cope. So I was also surprised DCL didn't come on a bit earlier because he did make a difference when he came on. And going back to your point uh, before, Matt, when we went to United, they didn't look that comfortable. And so it, it kind of begs the question, could the substitution have been made a bit earlier? But yeah, uh, the, the, the brilliant thing would have been to have got the points and gone above Liverpool because psychologically that would have been such a boost. <laughs> yeah, um, it certainly would have been nice, but I think if we got a point at the end there from that game, if, you know, Varane and I've got his head on that ball and Jordan Pickford's towering in front of the Gladys Street and putting that in, I think it would be uh, probably would have been quite undeserved from our point of view because I think for 18 minutes that match, Everton were, were largely awful. But uh, we do move on. We'll just speak about that game at the weekend and some of the things from Lampard's press conferences a little bit later, lads. I did want to bring up, actually, it was quite an interesting few days for former Everton forwards over the weekend. I don't know if you all saw this, but in the same game at the weekend, Adam Luckman and Gerard Delafeu both scored. Delafeu scored a great free kick in a game that was 2-2 between Atlanta, Atlanta, I should say, and Udinese. Uh, Shani Tarashai, do you remember him? Yeah, he was forced, the, to, forced Swiss, to retire. Swiss guy. Yeah, forced to retire this week as well, so... Um, if you're listening, Sharni, best of luck in the next step in your career. Uh, and, and the big one for me, Enna Valencia, who Adam, when I mentioned his name at the start, didn't really know he was still playing. Still 32 years old, mate. You know, as someone who's 33 in the prime years of his life, I should probably say. Um, scored a hat-trick at the weekend for Fenerbahce. And is on 10 goals from seven start in the Turkish top flight this season. He's going to be playing as well in the first game of the World Cup. In playing Ecuador, playing Qatar in the opening game, and he's, he's, he's going to light it up, Adam. He's going to star on the world stage, and we'll be end. We'll we could have signed him for eight million all those years ago, and we'll probably end up spending twenty million to get him back to the football club in January. To be fair, Matt, I've I've probably tried to blank out any of that period of being an Evertonian, actually. So anyone who might have been half decent... Yeah, he, finished, the... he finished seventh with him. That was, that, was, well, that was a good season. I thought, well, that was the best we've ever finished in 50 years, according to Ronald Koeman or whatever yeah. it was. He was um, Ronald Koeman's super sub. He was brilliant coming off the bench. Do you know what? As, as I say, to be fair, that, that year that we did finish seventh is probably never used in evidence because the other years that we finished everywhere and anywhere. And actually... It comes down to the fact that the likes of Enna Valencia, probably a shrewd signing for Everton, one of few in that era especially. And actually, we've probably just got rid of players who've got back to potential, a little bit of graft, you could say, in terms of wanting to play, wanting to play for Everton, wanting to better themselves, and just brought in a load of yeah, players on the other side of the curve, on the way down, retirement home, big money, big contracts, and any little diamonds in the rough have been lost. You look at the likes of... Delafoe, Enna Valencia, players who have probably gone on and had to ply the trade elsewhere. But um, yeah, he might have been able to do something against United on Sunday, even at his current age of 32. <laughs> yeah, get him back, get him back. 
Um, yeah, could, could have had him for eight million. And, and, and you know what, Patrick? He seems to have got over the incident with the police he had in Ecuador as well, of course, where he was uh, running away from the authorities, I believe, to try and escape his uh, child maintenance payments, wasn't it? That, yeah, that's the thing. That that would just have to have signed him, wouldn't it? Because, um, you know, obviously it was like a normal season. So we took, we got him on deadline day, I think, didn't we? You know, we always, he was our random South American. American striker that came in on deadline day, very underwhelming. You know, we've had Stracula, uh, Dennis, I can't even Stracula, say if I can never pronounce his last name, and a Valencia, Rondon, you know, so um, we've had a few, but yeah, and then I think it was like two, three days later, he was getting taken off, wasn't he, and on a stretcher on the back of a golf cart and then legging it down the tunnel. Incredible scenes, absolutely brilliant, but you know, I think, uh, yeah, I'm glad he's, uh, I'm glad for him he's doing well at Fenerbahce. I always liked him at West Ham, to be fair, and I think it was, um, I think, like, speaking of the World Cup, I'm pretty sure it was the 2014 World Cup where he maybe scored three or four goals and he, like, I remember he scored a few that were absolute screamers. Did he score against England? No, but, uh, did he score against England? No, he played... Well, West Ham paid a lot of money for him. West Ham, paid, yeah, West Ham, West Ham got him off the back of that and then obviously came to us two years later. And, yeah, he, you know, I think that's... You know, we speak about what the Everton squad lack at the minute and... um that versatile look, we need better than end of Valencia, but that versatile player with a bit of pace and dynamism across the front line that isn't, you know, knackered after 20 minutes or just doing step overs like Damari Gray does, um, or doing whatever Dwight McNeil does. He's not really pacey or dynamic. Um, you know, that's what this squad lacks at the minute, and uh, uh, among other things. So, um, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe if we'd have kept him on, you never know. We might have, might have all been different. Big Sam would have got use out of him anyway, wouldn't he? He'd have loved him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we signed the 32-year-old former player in the summer, Paul, so could happen again yeah. in January. Well, uh, as you know, Matt, you know, being your 30 is no barrier to achievements, is it? So, uh, Absolutely not, uh, mate. No. I think it's all, I mean, I mean, you look at the Turks League, I'm pretty sure two seasons ago, Coney was the top scorer there as well. After he left Everton, so maybe it's a bit of a trend here for ex-Everton players going to Turkey and prove themselves to be super strikers. And going back to uh, what you mentioned about Enna Valencia, it might be a thing with Everton strikers, because wasn't there Umar Nayas arrested for assaulting his wife just after he signed for Everton as well? Oh, I don't know on that. I might have yeah, to, I think, might have to I check think that. Let's, yeah, just say alleged, let's just say allegedly for now, in case Alleg- I, yeah. <laughs> I might have to edit it out. Yeah. Unless he was involved in an altercation with, with his partner. Uh, I'm pretty sure that that broke just after he signed for Everson as well. Uh, yeah, you mentioned Gerard Garafeu there. I mean, that, that's another example of, of a player who really... Because when we signed him from Barcelona, the Barcelona fans were in uproar because he was... I think he, he was a very good Spain's under 21, captain under 21s, and they were you know, criticizing the club for letting the talent leave. He was being heralded as the replacement for, for Messi, and it never quite worked out for the guy. I mean, a good example sometimes of a moving to Everton is never the best stepper stone in, in your career, unfortunately. And Adam Ola Luckman, you know, we, we I think Adam Tritz von Koeman there as well. Um, uh, it's so frustrating to watch a player like Luckman because when he was with us, I think he was only 20. He had bags of potential. He scored in that 4-0 victory over Man City, which seems like a, an absolute lifetime ago. And we just never developed the guy. You know, instead of trying to develop good young prospects, we've gone down the route by middling average performers on big salaries. And, and we've kind of suffered as a consequence. So, yeah, and, and, you know, although we have that really good first season under Koeman's charge, I just think his whole attitude towards young players, Ross Barley being another one as well, Tom Davis, just really set the club back a couple, a couple of years. But, you know, um, I think it gives hope to any any forward. Maybe, you know, for, for Dennis Strackle-Lersey, that could be his next move. I'm sure he's in his early 30s. I'm sure there's some age in the town in his case to go to Turkey. 
Yeah, I saw as well the Besiktas manager was being forced to defend Dali Ali in the week as well. I think he's having a bit of a ropey time over there. <laughs> so, uh, maybe maybe he'll be coming back anytime soon. Uh, but yeah, uh, my, my favourite thing about signing Delefeu was the um, online Twitter wind-up account stamp who fooled everyone into thinking that Everton had got the signing fee wrong. I think he convinced everybody that Everton thought it was 3.5 million, but Barcelona actually wanted 35 million. That's point in the wrong place. It was uproar online for a few days and it was in the paper and all sorts, but he ended up coming with a uh, was it buyback clause Barcelona had, which yeah. we were all very scared yeah. at one point that they were going to activate, yeah. but they never did. I loved Delafo. I thought he was I thought he was brilliant. I remember a cup game up at Middlesbrough. Yeah. Uh, we won two nil away and he was brilliant. Like he absolutely ripped them to bits. I think he scored one and set one up for Lukaku. And uh, I just remember driving back from there thinking that was a boss night and he was the big part of it. But he's just a, a great Moyes type player who, as you say, probably didn't end up how we wanted him to. But flashing the pan's always nice sometimes. You either live long enough to be a villain or you die a hero, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, with Delafeu as well, like, so he obviously had that first loan season, didn't he? And then he went back to Barcelona, we couldn't get him back for Martinez's second season. Did he play at Sevilla, I think? Yeah, yeah he, he went to Sevilla and he was just Yeah, and then we, we obviously signed him for Martinez's last season and then that, I remember the Barnsley game when we played when we played there and we 5-3 that finished and he came up, Delafu came on for McGeady at halftime. That was McGeady's last game for Everton. McGeady was absolutely awful in that first half and uh, Martinez had finally had enough of him. Even Martinez had had enough of him and then Delafu came on and kind of just tore it up, obviously, against Barnsley. But that first half of that season, it, it gets forgotten because we were we played some really good stuff that first half of the season. We had the League Cup run, and there was a time where it was about four or five games in a row where Delafeu just kept setting Lukaku up, either with crosses or through balls. But because we couldn't defend, we were just, you know, we, we weren't getting anything from them. I think he set him up against Bournemouth, West Ham, Norwich, I remember. And then Martinez stopped using him for some reason. Then I think... Kuman's first game, Lukaku might have been injured, and he played Delafeu up front as a striker against Spurs. And yeah. like it looked like it's oh, it's, debut. yeah, yeah, he's finally, you know, he's yeah, he's finally found a position. And then again, Kuman just stopped using him. And like, I mean, you know, it's who do you blame, the player or the the manager? And he's probably a bit of both, isn't it? But I do think Syria probably suits him as well. Like it's probably. It's a pretty open league now. Um, you know, there's the, the stereotype of the tough Italian defences, but there's some proper tin pot teams in that league and it's pretty open. So um, I'm glad he's doing well anyway. You know, I think he still follows Everton. So, you know, yeah. we'll always have jobs for the boys in a few years. He can be our, <laughs> he can be our, he can be our set piece coach in five years. Yeah. If Martin has a comeback instead of Lampard, then we would have had, would have signed him this summer. Yeah, and then he'd, have, then he'd have stopped using him after four months again, but anyway. Oh, God, yeah. We'll always have very, very wind, won't we? <laughs> that's, that's one we'll never forget. Um, but speaking of wingers, Adam, who get out of breath very quickly and flat to deceive at times, uh, let's move on to speak about Anthony Gordon. Uh, probably a bit harsh on, on Gordon, that. But um, the, the, I watched Frank Lampard's press conference today and, you know, Frank is very level-headed, doesn't really get too carried away about things and, positively or, or negatively, but I couldn't help but notice a significant change in tone when Anthony Gordon's name was brought up and the suspension was brought up. And Lampard obviously likes to give these long answers. When he was asked about Gordon, he was very short, very abrupt. And, you know, it seems like Lampard is a little bit pissed off of Anthony Gordon, 
based on the fact he's obviously been booked five times already. He's, he's going to miss the game at the weekend. He's only started eight games, hasn't he, as well? Because obviously he came off the bench against Southampton. But um, I think there's obviously a bit of a wider thing here with Gordon as well, isn't there? Obviously he's getting frustrated. He's losing his discipline. As Paul mentioned, he's not playing well. And it just feels like he's in a little bit of a funny situation at the moment. The thing about Anthony Gordon is, and I'm a big Anthony Gordon fan, um, total polar opposite to me dad, who is not convinced on Anthony Gordon at all, really. And it probably is a battle of the Dars on him because all the ability in the world, he's the profile that we all love, the young Gauther who's come through, who's going to light it up for us and, and become the hero for free that we haven't paid a penny for, that is just going to yeah steal the hearts of, of young Evertonians growing up, really. But there's, there's something something about Anthony Gordon, and I don't know whether it's the Chelsea interest. I don't know whether it's the number 10 on his back now. I don't know whether it's people exercising a new contract for him. I just think the last, last couple of weeks, he's just gone off the boil a little bit, and he might be starting to believe his own hype. But actually, I thought maybe that United game, a couple of those Everton players might have started to believe their own hype in a way. And I think if... If your main man, the, the guy you've, you've put all your hopes on with, with that number 10 shirt being the personification of it really is that he's going to have up and down games. He's going to have games where he's, he's on it and he's going to have games that he isn't. But I think he's just probably floundering a little bit in between maybe positions and in between maybe a mindset of, of what he is and what he's going for. And, and if you almost pair that with what you alluded to there, Matt, is he's just goofed after about 20 minutes. I don't know whether it's the Evertonian in him that goes, I'm just going to go mad for 20 minutes here and, and see what I can do. And then he turns into an actual Evertonian in the Gladys Street, four pints down, who's struggling to get up the stairs. He just looks like he, he goes after a short period of time. And don't get me wrong, I do the same when I play footy. But I, I nearly, I think I nearly tweeted you the other day, Matt, when you mentioned that. You alluded to him losing his breath pretty quickly. Is He doesn't seem to have a second wind, Anthony Gordon. And I don't think that, I think it's actually a mental and physical thing as well. And we've had a few players over the years that this was very similar to, that if your first five, ten minutes is good and you beat your man and you get a good ball in or you start well, then the game usually goes well for you. Whereas Anthony Gordon, I think he actually, if he struggles first five, ten to get on it, get involved, he doesn't feel like he's part of the game really. He hasn't got that patience yet or he hasn't got that persistence yet to almost let the game come to him, bide your time and it'll happen. And therefore, that period of the game where he doesn't feel involved once he gets a chance to get involved, he loses his head. And that was exactly what happened against United on, on Sunday. He gave the ball away and he just knew straight away he's going to go chase someone here and he's going to lose his rag. And he did. I think he ran into the corner right in front of the United fans. And granted, he may have got the ball, but the referees just watched him lose the ball, lose his head, and then lose his balance pretty quickly and, and take someone out. But listen, I like Anthony Gordon and other, other Evertonians that have come through for Everton in, in previous years are Evertonians, and that's probably where that ends. Whereas Anthony Gordon, I think, has got all the ability in the world. It just needs to be channeled in the right way. And Frank Lampard might be there playing a little bit of a game with him and saying, do you know what? I've praised you all throughout this saga with Chelsea. I've given you all the support you need. We're talking about a new contract. You've got the number 10. Now, actually, it's time to knuckle down and really make a difference because it's not all green grass when you're talking about being playing for Everton and being the main man here you've got to back it up and I thought he backed it up very well in the first three or four games but that's that's the thing with with Everton players and with young Everton players coming through you've got to show consistency 
Nevani Gordon's losing his head and missing games that he needs to be available for, then Frank Lampard's got all, all the, the right in the world to, to be upset about it. And maybe, I don't know what you thought, but there was a, a hint to me there that Lampard, the penny only just dropped that he was getting suspended. And it's almost a bit of a shock as well as him realising, I am, I am angry about this. And as you say, what, eight, nine games in and you've got five bookings as for a, a left winger, you're probably not doing something right, are you really? No, absolutely. And, you know, Paul, it's, I, I just wonder if like the last few months have just all of a sudden become a bit too much for him in both, a, you know, a physical and mental sense, because not only, you know, as Adam alluded to there, I think absolutely right. That he, he plays like he is someone out the stands and he will run like he's like someone who's not played five a side for ages and he gets on the pitch, charges around for 20 minutes. It's like, <laughs> bloody hell, I am knackered here. It's a bit like that. And you can tell he feels it and he feeds off that emotion, but he's had the emotion of being involved in a relegation battle that went effectively to the wire with his team and the club he's loved and the club he's grew up with. He's had the summer where he's been on the back pages and on websites every day. He's had all the noise around it where people are going, £60 million for him. Oh my God, you're kidding, aren't you? You know, he would have heard all that as well. And it just I just wonder if it's just all become a bit too much, a bit too soon, because he just looks flat, doesn't he, at the moment? He just looks really, really flat in all aspects of his game. Yeah, I mean, I keep what I've said there as well. You know, there's, there's also the other pressure being the local that's trying to degrade the club as well. I think as well, if you look at Andy Gold, towards the end of last season, the last one or two games, I thought his form had just dipped a little bit then because prior to that, his form was one of the key elements in keeping us up. I think he, well, I mean, there's no for saying that maybe he felt the pressure more than most other players last season when being a local lad because quite often he stayed behind at the end of the games when we'd lost and go over and speak to the fans. So you can see he really felt it as well. I'm sure, you know, when Chelsea come in, you know, and bid sixty million for you after your first full season at the club, you kind of think, well, I mean, you know, it, it's like uh, I, I don't know, Matt, but it's like a major fire came to you and said, well, by the way, Matt, you know, we've got to increase your salary to you know, six hundred grand a year. I want you to be in charge of major fire sports. Are you interested? Well, yeah, of course, your head's going to be turned, isn't it? No, I'm loyal, loyal to loyal to the blue room. <laughs> I'm, I'm but so, never, I'm, say, I'm, never say never in podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, but but I'm, I'm sure I'm sure that that's been part of a factor as well. Uh, yeah, he he doesn't look in full condition at the moment. I'm, I'm not quite sure why that was. And I think as well, um, it's it's a worrying trend, isn't it, for for young Everson prospects, local lads who don't quite make the grade here. If you look back, say over the last thirty years or so, you have Billy Kenny, who's one of the best midfielders I'd see in in the mid nineties. He kind of his career fell off. Michael Branch, who's being touted as a future England forward, his career ended up in going to prison. I think. Franny Jeffers, his career never took off as an Everson player. Ross Barkley's done nothing since he's left the club. So there's four really good local footballers who, for what reason or another, have not quite made the grade at Everson. You could use the same argument for Tom Davies as well, who looked a really good prospect four or five seasons ago. So it, it is a worry. I mean, I think there's a real... I mean, Abby, you mentioned your, your dad's opinion about, uh, about Anthony Gordon. I think there's a real divide amongst local fans, a, a generational divide, because some of the people sit around by me in Ilk Bullens absolutely hate Anthony Gordon. He can't do anything wrong. He can't do anything right. So they start thinking you made the grade like do, you know, think Charles, you have to, you know, and all this sort of stuff all the way through the match. Whereas the more rational, younger Everson fan is quite, you know, it's quite sang- sanguine about the whole thing, saying he, he's a good player. He's going to have a different form from time to time. But uh, the original point about the five yellow cards, that, that, that's just sheer madness. Isn't it? It's not as if he's making you know, uh, goal-saving tackles in, in every game. So he really has to work on that element of, of his contribution to the team because 
know, we haven't got massive strength and depth. We can't afford to be losing one of our, one of our key players. And I think one of the things, you know, looking at him is he definitely needs to work more on, on his uh, his goal output because you know, he, he really should be be providing more goals for the team, given the opportunities he's he's you know, they're often creative and he creates himself. So uh, I really hope you know that this is just a blip. I really hope he he learns from the way Lampard is is kind of you know his anger towards him at the moment, whether that's going to be a motivating factor for him or not. But he's a really good prospect, and nothing would hurt me more than to see you know, twelve months down the line him making a move away from Everton as career stalling. You know, Paul used the word there, Patrick, and sanguine, and I think that that's quite right. It's you know, I was, I was saying this on one of the shows this week. That is this just a bit of an, an awkward situation for everyone though? Because I think I wouldn't say he's like he's adored in the same way that maybe Rooney or even Ross Barkley was when when they first broke onto the scene. I think it would be in all brutally honest if someone had said in the summer, you know, forty-five million, fifty million up front, you know, but don't want to speak for everyone here. But I think we all probably would have taken that money. I think Anthony Gordon himself probably would have thought, you know, Chelsea, Champions League, manager like Thomas Tuchel, I wouldn't mind going. And we all sort of like, we're ready for this to happen. He was probably ready for it to happen. And it's not happened. And it's kind of like, oh, well, what now? You're here. And we actually would have probably preferred the money. And he's thinking, well, actually, I'm I'm still Everton and I probably would have preferred playing in the Champions League. Is, is there a bit of that involved in all this, do you think? I, I mean, I think, I think perhaps, and like, I was one of, the, you know, I, I was very vocal about it as well. Like, I think, look, I think you might, it might be you men might have been listening to the weekly the other day, Matt, and you mentioned like you know how out the media had been like going off, uh, the you know the general media, not the Everton media, had been saying Everton fans would be delighted that Anthony Gordon stayed, and it's like no, if I mean I don't think Chelsea, from what I know anyway, I don't think Chelsea ever did actually bid sixty million. I think it was like there was talk that they would go up to that, but if we could have guaranteed that we'd have got anywhere near that amount, I do think the club would have sold as well. Um, and I think ultimately it just got too late in the window for anything to happen um, because Everton would have had to get replacements in themselves and it all becomes a bit too much. So maybe I think there is part of that. A lot of me thinks though, like, I, I like Anthony, I think he's a, a good talent like like Adam. Um, and I think we can all see the talents there, but I just I don't actually know if what he's doing right now is much different to, in terms of his actual output, his actual impact on the game. He's much different to what he did for a large part of last season. The difference is, his last season he had, he seemed to have that drive about him. He seemed to have that, um, uh, you know, the 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 impetus to get everywhere on the pitch to try and make things happen, even if it didn't always come off. Whereas on Sunday he just looked. I mean, I don't use this word often, but I think he hid on Sunday, and I'm not saying he did that on purpose, but he just it was like he gave up after the first ten or fifteen minutes, and then. It's hard when, you know, it's hard when they, we were, you know, we we weren't getting the ball to the forward players enough to get them involved in the game. But then there's always got to be that trade-off of, well, the forward players weren't making the runs and the movement to get in the game. And especially with Anthony Gordon, that was definitely the case. I do think if you take a step back as well, where did his best games this season come from? Playing on the left against Brentford and um, Brentford and Leeds. And Paul mentioned how he needs to add more goals. And I think we can all agree on that. But on the flip side, well, I think the two chances, well, the three chances he's had this season that I can think of the top of my head, three really big chances were the um, Villa game where he scored. It was just disallowed, obviously, for for like a marginal offside, but fair enough. And then Brentford and Leeds, and he put them both away. 
The only one I want to say is uh, Forrester Home. Oh, the one, sorry, yeah, the Forrester Home. Yeah. came out, didn't they? Yeah. yeah, so sorry, that one as well. But again, if you look where that chance came, it's that left-hand channel, and I think that's where you want him if he's going to score goals. If he's on the right, it needs to be more about... And, and this is where I think the style of play comes into it a bit. Everton don't cross the ball enough. We just don't. And I don't know if it's a Lampard thing. I don't know if it's the players. Um, I don't know if it's not having the support from the fullbacks, but we constantly go back into midfield too much. And Gordon's guilty of that as well. And it's like, if he's on the right, I think the really the best thing he's good at is, you know, getting half a yard and putting a ball in. Okay, his crossing might not be perfect, but he's better than him running around in circles and then losing it like he did for the yellow card the other day and then charging back and getting a booking. But I just think generally, he's, I think the main thing that's missing is that effort. Um, and look, I'm sure he is putting his effort, he is putting the effort in, but it seems to be just lacking at the minute. Or And then when you combine that with the fact that he does look knackered after 20 minutes, um, maybe that's just the impact of being played far too much last season. Um you know, I think a, a big part of our issues last season, as good as Anthony Gordon was at times, is the fact that we relied on a 20 to 21-year-old who was making his first Premier League, you know, breakthrough season. We relied on him to be our creator, our goal scorer. You know, when Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin were out, he was our talisman. Um, and I think that told at the end of the season as well. He looked, I agree with Paul, he, he looked absolutely shattered. Um, I think of that Watford game, he was just knackered. Um, Leicester, I think he just looked absolutely drained. And uh, look, you can't blame the lad. He was, and maybe that's going to take some time to get over. Maybe, you know, because he went away with the under 21s and didn't have a full pre season and things like that. So, and then obviously, like you said, Matt, all the transfer stuff on top. Um, in an ideal world, and this is what Everton need to do in January, we need a player that's going to come in and give us that quality in those front areas. Because if we don't, as much as we've improved, I think we are going to be looking at maybe March time of being maybe not in the mire like last season, but there could still be a danger. Whereas I think if we add that player in, generally I think we're, we'll be fine. We'll be 10th, 11th reasonably because the rest of the team is looking better. And in turn, that can mean Gordon isn't relied on. Um, you know, I don't think him and Gray playing together works because they both want to do the same thing. So as a whole, a whole things, and I think on the positive side, yeah, he's suspended for Saturday. Hopefully that gives him the kick up the arse that's needed as well. Um, you know, maybe Lampard will look at it and think, no, do you know what? I'm going to give McNeil a run and we'll see what McNeil can do. Or he's going to say, well, we need some creativity in that final third now. So I'm going to put Alex Awobi onto the left left, and let him drift in, um, you know, and pack the midfield and make put James Garner in or put Decore in. We've got options. So let's just hope that maybe a two-week break out the side is what he needs. Um, and then you know, with the World Cup coming up, I, I know he think I know he's hoping to go, but there's absolutely no chance unless Southgate's completely lost his mind by then. Um, there's no chance. I mean, if he played right back, I'm sure he'd be. I'm sure I'd be in with a shot. So um, uh, yeah, uh, and then you know, maybe maybe a good break will just do him do him good, and we'll we'll see a better Anthony Gordon in the second half of the season, and then see what happens from there. You know, there'll probably still be interest next year. Even if he's even no, even if he didn't score another goal all season and only maybe set up one one other goal or provide another assist, look, we've shown with Dwight McNeil, someone will pay money for you. Um, so I don't think we need to worry about that, and hopefully, it's just growing pins. The only thing with that is we haven't got an Everton to come in and buy from Everton, have we? <laughs> yeah, but there's always there's always look Eddie Howe seems to really like yeah. him. That's the thing. There's all we you know we'll, we'll I'm sure there'll be a. 
if Newcastle can just like get in the head that they don't want to go spend 40 million on um Diaby from Leverkusen or someone like that, you know, just be like, no, no, yeah, yeah there's, there's, there's fine. There's, there's always going to be an Everton. There's always going to be an Everton. Go on, Adam, you sure you want to make a point, mate? I think the bottom line is that 21 years of age, isn't he really? And that is such, it, it, it's taken totally out of context as, as a footballer, isn't it? And you think these lads who are, 18, 19, 20, 21 can handle all of the pressure on the pitch, handle it all off the pitch, able to play a, a huge part in the club staying up. The first six, seven games of the season, he'd been good, scored, he was our top scorer, wasn't he, essentially? And, and now maybe the adrenaline's just worn off a little bit for Anthony Gordon. He fell under the weather last week. And yeah, I think being realistic here, it's we all want Andy Gordon to succeed at Everton for more reasons than one. And, and there would be nothing better than seeing him come back after his suspension, a little bit of a break, a little bit of a reality check, and you kick on now. And who knows? If he goes and scores 10 goals by now in the beginning of December, maybe we'll be eating our words regarding him on the plane. But we'll see. I think Andy gordon has got all the ability in the world. And if he can get himself there, then, yeah, we, could, we can all enjoy it. Yeah, could be vying with Enna Valencia for top scorer in Qatar. You never know. Um, <sighs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, he's not going to be involved on Saturday. As I said, he's suspended. Um, going to be a tough game, isn't it, Paul? You know, Spurs, I think, watched them a time this season and thought they looked quite stodgy and not really quite up to it. Maybe don't really necessarily know the, the best side, but I think in the last couple of games, you know, Brighton, they dug it out, watched them a bit last night as well, made some bad defensive errors, but going forward, they are they are electric and it's going to be tricky for us to go there and, and try and contain those, those attacking players that they've got. Oh, undoubtedly, yeah. I mean, I, I think, as you said there, I think defensively, they're not quite there yet, Tom. So I think you know, there's a chance we might be able to get something there because I don't think there's cohesive in the, in the defensive class you would like them to be. But yeah, they've certainly got the best... Trump Herding and Kane Son, I mean, the, the pace those two have. And if you remember the nightmare of that 5 0 defeat at White Hart Lane last season, where Michael Kane probably had his worst game in Everton shirt, we got absolutely destroyed on the break every time. So, you know, you, you kind of look at, you know, I was watching the, I went back and watched the Arsenal v Tottenham highlights uh, again before this. And you kind of see the way Arsenal approached that game. The first five times he bombarded Tottenham, didn't didn't give them time to settle. Then they dropped back a little bit to try to do really ready to deal with the counter attack. Okay, Tottenham got a goal back, but in the end the tactics were because in the second half you know, they played the same way. They didn't allow Tottenham to to cast them out on the break, and and they went on to win the game three one. So I think you know. Watch from last season's experience, it has to be drummed into the side that we can't play too high a back line because we're just going to get, get caught out. We can't get possession away cheaply like we did against Man United because once again, we kind of whip the full backs out of position, we get hit on the break again. So that's really got, got to be a crucial thing. Whether we go for a, a more defensive midfield uh, option, I'm not quite sure. But um, there's, 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 a, there's a couple of things that are bound to happen in this game. You know, one is Richardson hasn't scored a Premier League goal this season, has he? So that's a definite, you know, get, get a best on for that one. I think Harry Kane has scored 13 goals in his last 14 matches against Everson. Six times he scored two goals against us in a match. So I think that's another uh, bet as well, isn't it? So, so, and I think we've won one of our last 19 games against <laughs> Tottenham. So. Up here, so we're going to have to win 4 3 then, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so we won one of our last 19 games against Tottenham. But then again, we're a much better team than last season. You know, we, we, we have improved, we're, we're much more defensively solid than last season. Now, I think Patrick mentioned about the lack of pace with Cody and Tarkowski. 
in, in the defence. Well, so it's, it's imperative that we don't get caught too far forward for Kane and Son to get in behind us. Uh, and then we've got to work and try, try to create some chances ourselves. Uh, what's your, there was Adam or Patrick mentioned about the lack of crosses that Everson provide during game because that, that, that is always the way to open the defence. I mean, they've got one or two dodgy defenders and I've never been convinced by Romero. He looks like a, a walking red card half the time. Eric Dyer, I mean, no, I've never been convinced by Eric Dyer. So, and Hugo Lloris to me is a very overrated keeper because he always seems capable of making a mistake. I'm always quite astounded when Pickford gets criticised, but Lloris never seems to get any media criticism for the mistakes he makes for Tottenham. So we've got a chance. I think it's going to be a really, really tough challenge for us, but I can see us you know, possibly sneaking a point then. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm being overly optimistic Ooh. here, but I think, you know, Lampard being an ex-Chelsea manager would also love to get something over on Tottenham as well. So, you know, and, and maybe Richie might just go easy on us. You never know. <laughs> yeah. Talk yourself into a free all there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, do you know what, uh, Patrick? I think, I think it was this game last season where, you know, as, as Paul mentioned, where Lampard probably thought, I can't play this style of football with these lads. Um, and things changed quite a lot from that. So, as much as, you know, it's going to be a hard game, they've got great players. And if they play well, then it's going to be hard for us to get anything. I'd be very surprised if we went there with the same level of naivety as we did last season. And that should make it a bit more difficult for Tottenham, at least. Yeah, I'm. Um... Probably have lived to regret this because we know Spurs are scoring at least three based on what Paul said and the, <laughs> you know, the Richarlison ninety uh, third minute winner is really gonna really gonna sting. But just get ready for it now. He definitely celebrates as well, won't he? Oh yeah, I mean fair play, and we'll all go. Yeah, fair enough. Like because we all still love him deep down. There'll be initial hatred, but then then we'll get over it. But um, yeah, I, I'm I, I'm, well, I'm trying to look at the positives. I just. I look at Spurs and look at our squad and I just think it's a bad matchup, not just in terms of quality, just how they can play. And to to counter it, obviously, yeah, I don't I think we can say that I am confident it won't be another five nil. Or it five nil? Five, six, five nil, yeah. yeah. Um yeah, it will bad that. Um I am confident it won't be another five nil. Um mainly because Michael Keane probably isn't gonna play. Um before. <laughs> But I do wonder if like Lampard might for this game. I, hate, I really don't like when managers do it normally. Like I, I if you know, like match a team up based on the system they play. But I do think with Spurs, and we it's not like we've not played with a back three, even though it wasn't great. I do wonder if he'll just tweak things, even if it's kind of a, a very slanted back three with Coleman, you know, like a back four on paper, but Coleman maybe tucked a bit more inside. Maybe he has to sacrifice his be in that sense and play him as a right wing back and and just see if we can reduce the space between the lines um, for for some if if Richarlison plays or if it's um, Kane dropping in with Kulusevski on the right you know if we can just reduce that space and then simultaneously get some numbers in midfield. Oh, Patrick's just frozen. Go on, mate. Just just you were saying about how you get numbers in midfield and then you. Yeah, sorry. Uh, if I'm back, yeah. Um, I'd probably start Decore in this match, or well, I wouldn't be against him starting. I think uh, I think there's been a collective excitement about Onana, and some people have maybe disregarded Decore, but he's a he's still a good player, and I just pat the midfield. Whether we go with a back four or a back a back five, um, and I think the only question is, yeah, if it's a Wilby or McNeil who replaces Gordon, um, but 
I can't say I'm massively confident, but we'll, you know, we'll see. Could pull pull a surprise out of the hat. Feels like one of those games that Everton need to get it very right, and Tottenham need to have a bad day at the office, really. And yeah. I think we might have said it before the game that was cancelled um, a couple of weeks ago, Matt. Where it was one of those you just feel like the periods of the game that you you know are huge parts of it. Your first ten fifteen minutes in the first half and your first 10-15 minutes in the second half if Everton can navigate those they can almost start to, to grow in confidence really and I think that's what's, that, that's what's a, a massive part of, of our game at the moment really is riding the wave and, and almost getting away with things getting lucky but of course having luck is also coming from right place right time a little bit of organisation a little bit of snidey nature that I think Everton have actually brought into their game this season so Agreed. We've got to be shrewd throughout the first periods, but we've also got to ride our luck a little bit. And who knows? It's one of those. I think Everton losing against United and then losing against Spurs, it's it starts to look as if like, oh, it, here we go again type of thing. So if we can get a result down there, it feels more than just a point or, well, three points, who knows? But if we can get a result down at Spurs, it almost says to me that these are a bit more of a real deal than they were last season. It's not just a, a bit of a, a run that we went on and then here here we go again. We've started to we've turned back into Everton. If we can get something down at White Hart Lane on Saturday, then it'll be really pleasing for a number of reasons. Yeah, I'd, I'd definitely go with the back three that Patrick mentioned there. You know, the the idea of, of Son playing up against Coleman and, and Cody in that channel. You know, he, Ronaldo's not as quick as he was, but you know, he, he left Cody for dead in the, the weekend, and I think. I think a Wobie right wing back, Coleman into the back three, try and just close off those gaps, I think has, has got to be the way to go. If we, if we go there with any kind of attacking endeavour, I think we'll uh, we'll struggle. Um, but yeah, we will leave it there. I'm not going to ask for predictions, lads, because, you know, Pop, Pop may be up Paul because he sounded like he was convincing himself that we were going to win 4-3, but um, <laughs> it's, it's open. The lads the lads can do it, um, but we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll leave it there. Uh, Patrick's got off already. Obviously, very, very unhappy that didn't ask him for a prediction. <laughs> but, uh, I hope he enjoyed himself on the show. Uh, cheers to Paul. Cheers to Adam. As well, uh, we'll be back later in the week. I can't believe what a great time. Uh, we'll be back later in the week um, with instant match reaction um, for that Tottenham game. If you want more from us, as ever, we are on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Blue Room Extra. Loads of stuff going on there. Uh, me and Rob, we're going to be having a chat tomorrow for our Keep Talking show. Uh, he's got very het up on social media today in an argument with Dave Downey about Yerry Mina. So, um, Rob Vera and Dave Downey have been arguing on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've got a list. Would you believe it? Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll get into all that tomorrow. So it's patreon.com slash the blue room extra. If you want to hear more from us, weekend preview and mailbag tomorrow as well. So tons going into the weekend. Uh, but yeah, that's been your weekly show. Up the toppies. We'll speak to you again, please. Network.